Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what is the most well-known aspect or moment of Elijah's life. Uh, you've probably heard multiple sermons or lessons on this. It's a it's a big deal, and it's kind of a it's a weirder scene, a weirder scene in the life of Elijah. And there's a lot more, there's a lot of meat on the bone. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of historical um, context that it's hard for us to understand. There's a lot of really like awesome applicable messages that I think are really easy for us to grab and, and talk about um, in our modern context. Uh, and there's also just a lot of um, what is going on here and what is what is all that God is trying to communicate in this text. Jason, will you do a quick just overview of um, of our passage? Um, in first Kings chapter 18 that will be that we will be talking about today yeah so first Kings 18 uh, basically verses uh, 16 through the end of the chapter what you have there is so last time we saw last time we saw Elijah he was talking with Obadiah and Obadiah had quelled his fears enough he's gonna go talk to Ahab it's fascinating he goes to Ahab and it's a really quick interchange so I'm wondering it's like Obadiah like what was I afraid of but they set up the meeting they meet and uh, basically set up this, and, and Elijah kind of takes the reins and says, here's how this should go. Uh, the, the, the sticking point here, how do I say this? The, the main symptom of Ahab's uh, disobedience was they started to worship Baal, and they have these hundreds of prophets. And so Elijah sets up this showdown, as it were. And uh, basically, it's like, you guys go first, and whoever can, whoever's God provides fire uh, wins. And so basically, it goes on half the day, and the you know prophets of Baal don't do it. Elijah does do it. Uh, God does do it. The prophets are all slaughtered. Uh, that's the actual word used. The people are like, yeah, we're with you. Uh, and towards the end, it says that that um, you know God basically empowers Elijah to run, uh, tuck his cloak and uh, into his belt, and runs ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, which is you know like over a marathon worth of running um, to get there. And so. Uh, that's that ends that story, and then it sets us up for what happens in nineteen. So, with all that in mind, again, like Connor said, so much uh, we could bounce off here, and we'll just see where we're at, where we are at as it ends nears the end of our time. Uh, whether we need to do a part two with this, uh, but just considering that whole um, scenario, what mm -hmm. strikes you? What sticks out to you, Connor? Yeah, you had mentioned it uh, at the beginning of your kind of of uh, your explanation of your overview of what happened in this passage. But I do think it is like just important that we maybe bring it out a little bit. The idea that there doesn't seem to be immediate consequences for Obadiah and the fact that he goes to Ahab to tell him about Elijah, to show him or bring, bring him to Elijah. And you get the sense like we talked about last week, there is like a deep, deep, immediate fear. I might even say that um, earlier in the chapter that Obadiah is deeply afraid of what is going to happen to him and to the people that he's protecting. And you almost get the sense of like Obadiah's sense is that if I bring you, then you're going to die. I'm going to die. All the people I'm protecting are not going to survive. Um, and it is, it may be if eventually Elijah was not successful and the prophets of Baal actually won or, you know, something else had happened. Um, that maybe maybe it would be that then 
um, Ahab would then turn on Obadiah and, and it would not work out like he had feared. But yeah, uh, it is it is interesting to see in scripture um, a, a deep, deep, real, um, honest, and completely understandable fear that a person of God has. Um, and it's completely reasonable. And then to see that fear um, not even really addressed. Um, I mean, it, not, it is addressed by the fact that nothing happens, nothing comes of the fear. But... Um, but yeah, the the small, I mean, the, the massive grace that Obadiah and the people he's protecting have that, you know, that Yahweh wins and that they are going to live and be protected and, and all this good stuff. Like that's massive and that's big. Um, but yet there is no, um, like it's, it's, it's cool to me that is that it's not a bigger point here that it's just this one throwaway verse but yet in that um, there is something so relatable and so applicable to, to us today. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that that's the the big thing is I recognize that we have a hard time distinguishing fear and fearful thinking from discernment. Uh, and I think we've been taught to honor fear. I think we've called fear discernment, you know, like, like mm. or, or prudence or however you want to think about that. It's that idea of when something scary comes up, if you don't react in fear, something's wrong with you. Instead of saying, or maybe that's just the question, what is the godly response to truly frightening things? Because the Bible doesn't give any hint that Ahab's not a threat. Clearly, we're one chapter away from Elijah treating him like an incredible threat, which is funny, the turn, because Elijah's been almost cavalier, just like, yeah, whatever, you know, uh, kind of thing. So it's interesting that in a very short time, he's playing the role of Obadiah, you know, in terms of fearfulness. But specifically to Obadiah, here's a guy who I would say knows Ahab better than anybody, is genuinely terrified of him. And I don't think the Bible gives us any sense that Obadiah should be shamed. Mm-hmm. I do think that Obadiah, and I think this is the better way to think about it, he had an opportunity for this to be a richer experience for him um, to to go in peacefully. Now, to his credit, he had courage, he fought his fear, and he actually, you know, he created the, the meetup and everything. Um, but it does it does ask me, what is yeah. it I'm afraid of? And, and I might have many good reasons. Well, the world is chaotic, you never know what's going to happen, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and I've had all these bad experiences in my past, and that can certainly happen again. And those answers all could be yes, and yet mm-hmm. I could experience life in a much richer way if I just would stop and say, okay, God, what is it you want? And give me discernment. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying my fear, but it's also not running my show. Yeah. You know? Well, and I wonder, I wonder if this actually is playing out in the richest way possible for Obadiah. Um, like sometimes it, sometimes like we do have these fears and we do need to have, um, wise discernment in terms of, uh, the chance of violence or the chance of, um, of extreme persecution for, for us or for the people that we love or, and, and Obadiah addresses that fear and without condemnation, without, without any fear, without any sort of backlash, God addresses that fear and moves on. And so we don't get the perspective of, we don't get the direct perspective of, of what um, God is doing in this specific situation or how he wants Obadiah to handle it. But I also wonder, um, like, because nothing comes of it, my, our, my natural response is to go, well, he had nothing to fear. But I do wonder, like, instead, like, is this what, like, is was it good because, like, Obadiah was responsible for all these people to have this natural fear and then to choose God? Um, and so the 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 answer, somewhat, so Maybe the answer for me oftentimes is not that I had to not fear or not discern, um, but this is what a really good picture of, of truly living in the fullness and the richness of, of the peace that God, 
the peace that God offers us. Um, and that can look a lot like having a fear, uh, being rightly uh, discerning over a particularly hard situation, and then ultimately nothing comes of it. And I see that God protects and God is good. And and yeah, I I I I would just love more perspective um, from what from from God. Obviously, I love more perspective from God, but I also love more perspective from Obadiah um, in terms of how he views his previous fears. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how the story just leaves him behind. Like he doesn't show up anymore. It, from my memory, I don't think he shows up anymore in this particular story. Um, and so it's it is this that fascinating dynamic. And I do think something you said is really important and bears repetition. Is this idea there is no suggestion that you should not feel fear. the The question is, what do you do with it? And I think it's mm -hmm. it's it says a lot about Obadiah of just owning in the conversation. Like he's not like saying, "Well, Elijah, I'll think about it," because I think that's what what I do. I'm like, "Well, I'll think about it. I ain't never going to do that," you know. <laughs> but he's really upfront. He's like, "Man, that scares me." Mm. You know, this is going to go bad for me. And he allows God to speak into his life by way of Elijah. And we don't want to assume that's the only way God's communicating with him um, to calm him enough to to exercise courage and say you know what that's the right thing to do because it's not like this happened five seconds apart you know Obadiah had to make the trip back to find where Ahab was uh, and then let him know hey here's what's up and we have no sense of that conversation yeah being able to acknowledge the full fear and the full responsibility and the anxiety that Obadiah had then allows him to fully appreciate the protection that God offers him Absolutely. So, what, what's 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 the thing for you that uh, sticks out? Oh man, we should just keep discussing that forever. Um, okay, so if I'm forced to change gears, um, I I love the response of Elijah to Ahab. So I'm in verse 17 uh, when he sees Elijah, he says, "Is that you, you troubler of Israel?" And he's like, "Hey, I didn't make trouble. You made trouble, you know." And I wonder how much this comes up in my life. That idea of, uh, you know, I, I have said too many people, um, maybe too too many people, hey, I want to be the easy part of the system. You know what I mean? And and part of it is reaction. My, I grew up with, let me just say it this way, I carry in me the weight of, oh, no, here's the minister. What's the minister going to ask for? I'm used to ministers being perceived as high maintenance. You better not get on the wrong side of them. And maybe Christians in general, you know. I've referenced before, I can remember being in public places and somebody cussing and my mom saying, hey, can you not can you not say that I'm a Christian mm -hmm. with the expectation that that person would just be, like, oh, I'm sorry. And they did every time, you know. So I kind of, my pendulum has swung a little too far where I'm like, I remember I've worked with schools and stuff and I'm like, look, I don't want to be the hard part here. I, I want to be the easy part. You got enough hard stuff going on. At the same time, that can make me worship at the wrong altar. The altar of, I don't want to get in anybody's way and the altar of, if it's difficult, I must be doing something wrong. Mm. But it's not just, I think Ahab is speaking for the whole country to the degree that the whole country knows about that interaction several years ago, that it's like, this is Elijah's fault, you know? And and it was so, that that dynamic of, so we're dipping back into the last chapter, but that dynamic of Ahab forcing people to swear, like nations, whole nations to swear that they were not harboring Elijah, that's shocking. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is serious. So, I have no reason to believe that Ahab has not made Elijah the public enemy number one in everybody's mind, mm -hmm. which probably reflects why later in this particular account that when he, when Elijah's like speaking, he's like, Hey, what's going What are you guys going to decide? And everybody's like, nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. you're the bad guy in this story. Like you're not the good guy mm -hmm. because the truth is if you're worshiping an idol, let's say you're my, you're the governor of, of Oklahoma uh, and you're worshiping an idol. I'm like, that's wrong. 
But then if you also pass a bill where I don't get to eat <laughs> for a couple years and, you know, I'm, I'm having to scrounge, I'm like, I don't care about your idol worship at all. I need food on the table. So oh, that's really, and, that's and, and actually doing that, if another person, you know, if there is a lieutenant governor or whatever that said, I, I think he's the enemy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I would stop thinking. So from the day to day life, the person worshiping the idol, yes, he's a general threat. But the guy keeping me from eating and drinking freely, that guy's the enemy. Mm. So it really refrains. To me, the other piece that jumps out at me is I cannot forget these guys are really hungry and thirsty because despite the fact that Elijah totally upsets the whole apple cart, I mean, think about the relationship between Ahab and these prophets that are killed. He goes, hey, there's rain coming. You can go eat or drink. Ahab just leaves. He's like, oh, that that supersedes the offense that you just killed on my people. Yeah, and man, that's a really important... um Man, I am so glad that you brought that up because I, I was ready or later on when uh, Elijah presents the question to the people um, of, you know, basically, are they going to choose Baal or are they going to choose Yahweh? And they just they, they keep totally silent. And I was kind of ready to like, you know, not lay into them, but, you know, say something snarky or 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 whatever I was going to say. But now I go like, yeah, of course, they're just on the side of food. They're on the side of survival. And like, I don't think. God would, I mean, I don't think God in that moment would necessarily blame them. And I mean, later on, we'll we'll talk about it more, but the prophets of Baal are slaughtered by Elijah um, and the Ahab, the king who was also worshiping Baal and the people who were going along with the worship of Baal are not put to death. And I wonder, I do wonder for for, for the people, um, like, is this an example of God showing, um, showing grace, grace to these people, because I mean, I would love, I I love to think that I am the one that's going to stand up, you know, if there's a famine or persecution and I'm going to be the one that says, I don't care if I eat or drink. Um, I, I will not bow down to, you know, your God or whatever it would be. But then you throw in my, my daughter and my wife. And then I'm saying, no, like, like then it becomes much more serious. Then I go, could I honestly, and would that be what God wants me to do? Would God want me to sacrifice my daughter's next meal or having a meal at all um on the face of being able to i I may sometimes he might call for that and sometimes he he probably wouldn't and so that's i think a um that one that gives me a lot more compassion for the people of israel i i think that's a tremendous point so as you're talking i'm like okay is their response the righteous response in saying nothing? Because is everything in their being like, you're the bad guy here. How can the guy, so we'll take it all the way out. How can a good God, would a good God really, mm-hmm. you know, separate us from, you know, food and, you know, I, I'm there, they're alive, obviously they've had some food, but you don't have drought for three years in a culture like that um, and not have deprivation. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and with the king saying, look, we're, you know, this is, this goes back to last chapter. We're going to have to kill all these animals, you know, unless we find them some water to drink, you know. And so the assumption is his animals would be the last to go, mm-hmm. you know. So that means probably all their animals have been killed, you know what I mean, yeah. to because they were dying anyway. So to sit there and for the guy that is the I, – I can't – I just can't imagine any any perspective on this that wouldn't have him at least equally – problematic to the average citizen you know and then to say hey are you going with me we're like uh the guy that killing us so them saying nothing maybe they well by faith we're not going to side with with this guy with ahab Uh but you're not looking 
I mean, what have you given yeah. us to show well, us? And especially, like, it's important to remind ourselves because, like, we, and again, I, I might not argue that this is, is a completely biblical view, but our natural view in the 21st century is to go, oh, it's so silly worshiping, you know, Baal, you know, this false god doesn't exist. And I, and I, and, and honestly, from, from, like stuff that I've been reading a lot recently. Like, I don't know if that's a completely biblical view, but that's kind of the common view. And that's my, that's my first, um, inclination when I, when I read about, um, read about these, uh, other gods that people worship in, in the old Testament, and, but yet like very real for them. Right. So there's a choice that they're being asked to make between Baal and between Yahweh and you have Yahweh. And again, like for the average commoner who's not super involved in politics, like it, it's completely rational to be like, well, you have one God that is, you know, not uh, is not coming through is is actually causing us to be hungry and causing causing this death. And then you have Baal, and it's like, and he seems very similar to you know Yahweh in some ways. And he seems, uh, it, but ultimately, like I'm putting the blame, like like I've been told by my king that it's it's Yahweh's fault. I've been told by right. the people in power that it's not Baal's fault. And then you have Yahweh completely come through, and there's almost this. Um, you have Yahweh come through in terms of um, in terms of the sacrifice, and there's almost this fervor that overcomes the people, like almost the, the deep, deep fear. Um, that that's what's fascinating to me is that this is what eventually moves them, right? The people to choose Yahweh, even though they probably would have been pretty upset or not totally on Yahweh's side before that. So it's really fascinating to think about. Uh, I mean, I'm, I know I just flew all over the board there, uh, but I, I it's just one of those conversations where I think. You might have to listen to us on like 0.8 speed or something like that to slow us down to fully connect where all we're going. But I, 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 there's so there's so much meat on the bone in terms of the story and in terms of um, in terms of empathy. And I'm wondering, like, I never thought about the story as like in, uh, one of the things that God wants to communicate through the story is empathy. But then I go, man, how could I not? And of course, if I was in the position of the prophets of ba- again, like I'm not I'm not advocating being a prophet of. Uh, you know, of another God, but like if what I saw was that, if what, if I was in their position, I would almost certainly, certainly act in a similar manner. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine I'd act differently. Yeah. So I'm going to double down on this just a little bit because it's, it's, you're, this was not what occurred to me prior to us putting, pushing record on this podcast, but I'm, I'm now captivated by this whole dynamic. So I don't know if Elijah has spoken to the people at all up to this point, there's nothing in record, biblical record that I'm aware of where Elijah meets with the people and says, Hey people like some kind of, you know, individualized, even a small remnant, even remnant, like the, even the hundred prophets, you know, that, that uh, Obadiah is hiding. So basically he goes to Ahab and says, look, this is going to happen. They never, the people, the common person never hears his side of the story. It's just at some point there's no water. And they would be much more tuned into it than I am because when when rain is in forecast for me, I'm like, oh, I should wear a raincoat. But I've hung hung around enough farmers that they are paying meticulous attention to. Okay, rain now. We need to how much and where from and what you know what will the temperature of the rain be and the the speed of the rain and all this you know. So these these people would be much more agriculturally tuned in. So that would be a huge thing. So what is being said by the prophets of Baal and whoever communicates for Ahab during this time? I can't imagine these two things weren't said. Number one, the bad guy is Elijah. But number two, here's the reason why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think we do this all the time. Oh, there's this major catastrophe, you know, and we get super offended when somebody says, well, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't be super offended. I'm just asking you to think. We get super offended if somebody said, well, well, God brought this disaster. You know, I mean, God brought 9-11. God brought 
AIDS. God brought, you know, COVID. God brought whatever, you know. And I think it's right for a person to say, how do you know that? And the truth is we don't. So we got to be careful with asserting, I speak for God on this. Simultaneously, people that are spiritual people will say, well, the reason that the life is like this now is this. And based on my present wisdom, I'm like, okay, I can see that. I can see that. So now I'm functionally, I can still be claiming to worship Yahweh, but I'm not even asking Yahweh about it. I'm using the conventional wisdom, maybe of the church, maybe of mm-hmm. what we'd call the world. And and I'm like, that's where these people were. They had not heard from Elijah. All they know is suddenly they're being invited and you've got, even on sheer number, you got Elijah here, the bad guy, I'll remind us again. And then you got these 450 people who probably look pretty good to them. They did not, I don't think the prophets of Baal look like hideous, mm. evil devils. You know what I mean? I think these are the people that had been actually talking to them throughout this hardship. They may actually have been the people that were comforting them. Mm. You know, I don't know the how the, you know, the prophets of Baal's daily activity were. Yeah. But I assume they were, ming- well, certainly we can say they were mingling much more with the common man than Elijah was. Because he was around basically two people this whole time. So I want to spin it forward like maybe another thousand years or a little bit less than that into the time of Jesus. And you like so we <laughs> this seems to this seems to be a rhythm that keeps on being repeated throughout the story of of God's people, of God's chosen people. And that God brings his people close to him. Then they reject him. They turn away from him. They choose their own way. And then God keeps bringing them back. God keeps on bringing in prophets and, and, and saving them. And, and it's just this continual cycle that goes throughout the old Testament and then even into the new Testament. And so you get like, if I'm a person in Jerusalem and I've stood at the back of a crowd and heard Jesus preach one time, and I've heard, I've heard of a, I've heard of a healing he, there, here or there. It sounds cool, but I've not directly seen it. And I tried to go see him speak at the temple, but it was like super crowded. Maybe I'm actually, I'm not, I'm a lesser than person, so I'm not even really allowed in the temple. And I'm on the, I'm on the outskirts. But then you have the people that talked to the Pharisees who said, "Man, this Jesus guy, he's really, you know, just." He's really like he's he's bad news. He's the one who's going to cause all this trouble and all this pain and all this um, oppression that's going to come come against you. And then you find yourself in the crowd. You're training Barabbas, yada, 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 yada. I think this is a what we have today in our story of, of Elijah is like there's it's an even more drastic example because like you said we don't know how much direct public access Elijah has had and so I'm just wondering here and I'll have, I'm gonna have to do some more study and some more work work through here I think God obviously gets very frustrated with his people continually turning away and choosing to worship these false gods over him and yet I still am wondering here like is there a streak of empathy and sympathy and understanding that God has for his people um, because how could he not? And you begin to read the subtext of these stories and you go, yeah, like is the empathy that God has, obviously God has deep love for the people that chanted Barabbas when, you know, when it was a choice between him and Jesus. But then do I go, man, not only does God have deep love for them, but does he have deep understanding? And how far does that deep understanding and that radical um, desire for them, like, like, what does that mean for a God that knows all, understands all, um, and loves all? Like, what does that what does that look like? And then, man, if I if I can place myself in that mindset, um, how much more loving does that allow for me to be? How much more um, accepting of people's failures and faults and what I would see as completely false perspectives and completely wrong and harmful ideas? If I can go, man, if I can really understand them and know, yeah, I totally see how they've got there, and I. It's harmful. It doesn't take away that I want them to change or I want their ideas to shift or their behavior to change, but go, yeah, there's an element where I go, how could this not be a struggle? How could this not be a place where they ended up to one degree or the other? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and I'm, 
that application, uh, it, it occurred to me, you know, when uh, I guess Trump was the first one to really promote the idea of fake news, you know, it's like, well, that's fake news. And I remember when I first started, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I always assume there's fake news around, you know, I never really thought about it uh, because there was fake news in the time of Jesus and there's fake news in the time of Elijah. You know what I mean? It's like whoever holds the power shapes the narrative. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, we should always be, I don't think we should be cynical by any means, but I do think we should be aware the devil's always working and anybody that's not for God is more prone to align with the devil, you know? And so that's what we're, that's what Elijah's experience. That's what the people are experiencing. I also think who's responsible or what are you responsible to the prophets of Baal? You know, they, they get slaughtered. And now that begs the question, we can deal with that maybe in the next episode mm-hmm. by this point, but, but it's this idea of, okay, did, did God want them all to be slaughtered? Is that mm-hmm. an Elijah thing? Was that free will for Elijah's part? You know, that kind of thing. Why weren't the people slaughtered? Why weren't the people um, that had no answer, that didn't stand up and you know say, "No, I'm with I'm with Yahweh," you know? And and I'm not suggesting they should have been. My my question is the why, because then that drifts back or or projects, I guess, forward to me. Like like, what does God expect of me in this culture? Like, am, am I? And then every Christian expected. And then furthermore, I'm I'm the minister in these situations i'm the leader in most of these situations like there's very few settings i'm in where people aren't aware that i'm the professional christian here you know and then i go to james where it's like hey you know be careful (laughs) if if you're going to step forward as the teacher because you're going to be judged more highly and i think that has many manifestations but it's like what is my responsibility remembering obadiah is certainly a, a man of god in this situation and he is quiet as well yeah and i think it's so um I think it's so important. We lots of preachers and lots of ministers and lots of Christians will talk about, man, if you want to stand up and teach or, you know, have a podcast or whatever it is, like you need to be prepared to give an account for what you for what you taught. And yet we never really take the full step forward to go, well, if I sat under Jason for thirty years as he preached and he was not faithful to what it was, like, is God just going to be like, Well, you know, you when it comes to final judgment, will God just be like, well, you uh, you spent 30 years trying like being misled, being completely led down a wrong path. Um, but you tried. You you thought you were honestly going to live full life, but you right. were being deceived. You were completely wrong. And I'm sorry, but, you know, that, you know, sucks to suck for, for, a, for a better term. <laughs> but I, I and so here, like, I think this is what like where I always end up in terms of. um in terms of what is the ultimate fate of fate of everybody. And, you know, it's always a big question that, that lots of Christians and lots of non-believers ask, like, well, what happens to the person? Um, you know, what happens to somebody, you know, after they die, if they didn't choose Jesus? And, and maybe the answer is the classic answer. But then I also go like, man, like God over and over, and there's a lot more I could go down this, but God over and over and over again is showing drastic understanding for the context, giving grace and understanding to people who have been have been misled and oppressed by the people that have power over them. And I think it's just a really important thing to remind ourselves. One, when like we're we're having this podcast right now, and so that means we need to be really we're gonna be held accountable for the things that we speak now. I mean we'll always be held accountable for the things we say and do, but to a greater extent. And also, um, I think we always just need to make need to take a step further to always ask the question of man what then does that mean for the grace of God for the people um, that we misled? Or what does that then mean for um, the ultimate salvation of the people that had been oppressed and had been misled and even participated in an unjust, unfair system? Um, like, what does that mean for them? And what, is the, what does grace look like for them in, in that situation? Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I don't have I don't have the answers for what it exactly looks like, but I don't think it I don't think it is as cut and dry as most ministers would like you to believe. Yeah, I, I think I think in general, I, I just think it's 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 always been messy from the human perspective. I, I don't think well, well, I was going to say, you know, in Abraham's time, I don't think people are like, man, that Abraham, he's just the most righteous guy ever. If they had any sense of, you mean the guy that twice put his wife in a situation where she could have been sexually assaulted repeatedly with no recourse? And it's like, uh, yeah, that guy, you know. But the truth is, most people didn't even know him. So you have the father of our faith, you know, from a spiritual point of view, the most important person walking the earth during that era. Nobody knows him or, or few people know him relative to the whole populace of humanity. But but on any specific story, I don't think you're sitting there when Joseph is giving, you know, made second in command of Egypt. I don't think you're like, oh, this is really clean. Like, this seems really clean. Moses shows up and he's like, hey, I'm let my people go. They're like, oh, good. This is going to be smooth and clean. Matter of fact, God seems to go to great lengths to say, it's a mess. It's a mess. And only because we have this bird's eye view do we think, oh, it was so clean. You know, it was a mess. It's always been a mess. God never says, I'm going to clean it all up, then I'll start working. He's like, yeah, again. I cannot shake this, what, our podcast from a few weeks ago. He chose to leave the weeds in. And so when I look around in my world and I hear this from people, and I've heard it for years, but the world's getting worse and worse. It's never been this bad, da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, by what metric? First of all, because in many ways we're safer than we've ever been, you know, versus other eras. Um, but okay, it's a mess. Yeah, this is the only way it's ever been. And it, it, that comes from this idealized thing, well, well, back in the 20s, the 30s, the 80s, the 90s, whatever you think of is the idealized time. It's like, no, it was a mess then. It was always been a mess. And within the mess, people find great advantage and great disadvantage. But but the the question always put to them is, will they trust God with their mess? You know, and, and that's what it is. And he is very, very clear that he works one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't work in collectives. You know, even when he's destroying whole nations, there is a definite sense that he's working. I've judged every single person, you know, which is hard for us to contemplate, you know. Um, but in this case, he honors free will. And when free will is made toward him, he seems to preserve that, you know. Um, so now applying that today. Yeah. Tough. It's tough. But but I do think it's really important to recognize this is on the ground. If you're watching this chaos. And we haven't even got to the more chaotic pieces of this story, but chaos. But when you look at it through God's view, he's like, I got this. Like, calm down, you know, come come on, keep with me. And he's okay if we have tiny, tiny faith, which you can almost barely see, to stand up and shout it kind of faith. And that that is not human. I, I elevate the stand up and shout at people for me much more than the, eh, I'm kind of for you people. But God's like, I'll take whatever you can give me. And that's the message to me that I carry away is trust him. If you can trust him small, great. If you can trust him big, great. But trust him. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I think uh, we are going to keep having our conversation, but we're going to cut it here and then come back uh, where we left off. Uh, and you will hear that next week. Uh, and so, yeah, look, we look forward to finishing this conversation um, and would love to hear your thoughts on it. Grace, peace and love.